This is MuggleCast, your Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts podcast covering everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to episode 298 of MuggleCast on our 11th birthday. We're recording Sunday, August 7th, 11 years ago today. We released episode 1 of MuggleCast on MuggleNet. By we, I mean none of the three people here today. Micah, Eric, and Gina are joining us. Hey, everyone. Hey. Hey. A very merry birthday to me. To MuggleCast. To MuggleCast. A very birthday to you. To MuggleCast. To MuggleCast. So MuggleCast gets its Hogwarts letter today. I think that's very fitting because we're talking about Cursed Child, Albus going to Hogwarts. Going back to Hogwarts, I like th- I like this. This is whole Muggle Cast gets its Hogwarts letter year. This is awesome. Very poetic. Um, Your voice sounds the same, Andrew. Oh no, it doesn't. <laughs> no. no it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Muggle Cast episode one, everybody. Oh, I'm prepubescent Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Eleven years. God, that uh, that seems excessive. I don't know. <laughs> it's it longer than insane. I've done anything. <laughs> That's that's true. Except breathe, right? Like except for that. Except exist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But you know, just like anything else, besides the essentials in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was interesting. We were uh, we were making a post up on Twitter uh, earlier this morning, and I thought to myself, Twitter didn't even exist when we started this podcast. No. We were talking at GeekyCon, actually. A lot of social media. I mean, all of social media really didn't exist. Everybody had to go to a fan site if you wanted to get news. You couldn't, you couldn't go on Twitter to get it. You couldn't go on Facebook. You couldn't go on Tumblr. You had to visit the oh, site. Oh, that reminds me. Well, we just had so much fun at GeekyCon over the weekend, though. We did. Um, that felt like a really nice pre-birthday celebration. Yeah, uh, Eric and I met a few listeners down there. It was nice meeting everybody who came out. Great hearing from MuggleCast fans, too. You know, they're, yeah, they're in we, person. We, we did not one but two leaky mugs. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. Um, and we also, did two? well, we did two. We talked about fandom and uh, then we talked about Cursed Child, uh, you know, with attendees. By, by the way, nobody showed up for it because nobody wanted to be spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> as well, soon as well, the panel. That was, I... that, was the, that was the weirdest thing. That was the weirdest thing. So what it was, was it was our it was our Cursed Child reaction panel. Uh, on the main stage, and there were like 33 people in the room. And this was the morning after we got the book at like, uh, well, right around It was one thirty. So there was a good 12 hours to read it. Yeah, and like two people in the audience had actually read the whole book, and four of the <laughs> six panelists had read the entire book overnight. I was one of them who didn't, and I think, Andrew, you didn't read it all that day either, but... No, um, but you had seen it. So, I saw so, but like, But then the other 27 people in the audience had had gotten the book with us the night before, but did not finish it all, but still showed up to listen to us talk reactions and spoil the whole thing. Um, also, I just want to give a couple of quick shout outs to people who went to the hypable Cursed Child midnight release party in New York. Uh, Trisha mm-hmm. came in from Maryland. Uh, Amanda, Alex, Shannon, Connor, Smith, AJ. Thanks you all to show. Thanks to y'all for showing up. Uh, John, who hosted the event, said he met a few MuggleCast listeners there as well. Micah was not there, despite it being in New York. What the hell, Micah? <laughs> I was in uh, our nation's capital, so excuses, I apologize excuses. for not being there. Did you go did to a midnight release work? party down there? I did not. I Big actually... Fan. You're fired. I know. Uh, <laughs> you might as well get rid of me now. I, I got the book, I think, Monday, delivered uh, 
Amazon. By Amazon. So I did not even have a copy in my hand at midnight. You know, uh, which looking back on it, I'm not too disappointed about. But we'll get into that. You want to speak to this the sign of the times? Amazon always brags about how fast you can. You know, they do like two day shipping or same day shipping. They do all this like really fast shipping now. In select cities, they were delivering it at midnight. (laughs) Nice. Wow. I wondered. I I thought they would be more on top of it with this. So you're telling me I live in close proximity to one of the largest cities in the world, and I did not get my book even delivered here. Well, uh, you had to order at at a certain time, and it was in certain cities. I didn't read up on it, but I I saw they were doing it. I did pre-order it. I want to hear from somebody who writes in who's like, I was an Amazon delivery agent for somebody. I gave somebody their cursed child book at midnight. It's yeah, my that, job. It's what I do. That would be so fun. <laughs> so, oh my God. But it's interesting you, you bring that up, though, because at least here I know they do Sunday delivery as well. So I was surprised that it, it took till Monday for it to show up. Yeah. You were busy serving at the, the pleasure of the president, weren't you? So. I guess it's okay to be a little distracted. Yeah, woe is is Micah. Um, So today we are talking about Cursed Child Part 1. That that We are going to split up our discussion of the whole story into two parts. So right now, Part 1, and then later this month, Part 2. And then in the months to come, we will talk about... We'll continue to talk about it because there's so much to talk about. We're going to try to focus on the the bigger points today. Um, I just did a reread, so I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys now it's uh, yeah so i've read read it twice and one thing i think is important to mention uh that you know this is really discussing the book the story yeah not the play because three out of the four of us haven't seen the play so i don't think it's fair to go into any sort of discussion related to that though andrew you can probably make some comparisons absolutely and, and raise some good points but i think just for those that are listening, it's important to remember we're discussing the story. I will right. enhance and, and this... the discussion with tidbits <laughs> about the stage play. But I mean, so unlike our Wormtaily episode 295, uh, where Andrew had seen the play, but Mike and I had just read some spoilers and that was it. Now we, we're all on equal footing. We've all read the play, including Gina, read the play at least once. Actually, I think it's closer to twice, two and a half times. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know now what we're talking about. I, I can't, uh, cry at the heavens, but why, when I don't really know what I'm talking about anymore. This time I know what I'm talking about. There will still be crying, but I, at least now I've read. So and I my think- biggest questions are how it looks for the stage show. Cause I under, like, I, I was cool with most of it, but I was like, how did they do that? Yeah. Gina texted me on release day. Like, I have a question about this. <laughs> the stage directions are really cool actually yeah. um i think I, it, I think the stage directions in the script indicate just how ambitious a project the play was yeah um well so, so be- that's before one. we get to our discussion on that a couple things a couple quick news items um a patreon update and first i need to brag about something i want to get to this now because i am so <laughs> okay. impressed with myself so uh the <laughs> other day a few days after the script book came out and everybody read it Two MuggleCast listeners, Kat and uh, Miss Pez on Twitter, they alerted me to something fascinating. I predicted the big Cursed Child twist on episode 291. During our top 10 game, we were doing the Battle of Hogwarts would have been even worse if... And then we got to the end of it, and then this moment happens. 
Number one, though remember there are three after this. Remember, number one, if Voldemort... Uh, okay, so the Battle of Hogwarts would have been even worse if Voldemort had escaped like he did at the end of book one. <laughs> that one's from Michaela B. Yeah, it ended on a whole different cliffhanger. But then we would have needed an eighth book, so it would have been a good thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess so. <laughs> well, apparently we're getting that anyway, at yeah. least according to Barnes & Noble. Yes. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, Voldemort returns. <laughs> Voldemort's baby. Turns out, everybody, that Voldemort had a child. We never knew it, but he did. And that's who the cursed child is. Huh. Boom! Boom! Okay, honorable... Look at that, guys. Wow. Are you impressed by me? I'm pretty impressed. All right. I just... So thanks to the cat and Miss Pez. I, I, <laughs> I said that, like, not even thinking. I could tell the tone of my voice. I was just kind of, like, filling air time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Little did we know. Uh, quick Patreon update. Shirt forms are now live on Patreon. We want to know what shirt you want. We need to know so we can send you your shirt. So if you haven't done it yet, patrons, uh, now's the time to go to patreon.com slash mugglecast. Click on the uh, t-shirt order form post and fill it out. And we'll get you your shirt in the mail once you are eligible. The deadline is the 9th, which is Tuesday. Um, It is the 9th. But I think we're going to have to extend it because we need everybody to fill it out. So. Well, look, we, we do. But this is this is why the impetus, this is why it's a big deal. Okay, We, we, we still need 254 orders to be completed yes. out of 660-something. We have only 350-something submissions. So everyone else who's been delayed and get – I get messages all the time from people who are like, oh, yeah, I saw the email. I wanted to do that. Haven't gotten around to it yet. Guys, come do on. It no. 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 Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Uh, please do. Um, order your shirts, everybody. And also, new round of album art ships Tuesday. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, couple quick news items because we want to jump into our Cursed Child Part 1 story. Uh, so, J.K. Rowling went to the Cursed Child opening night gala, and she said something interesting. She said, Harry is done now. <laughs> this is it. Harry's story is done. <laughs> what do we? What do we make of this? I'm sad it's it, it's the last story is so mixed in reception. Yeah, that's that's my hold up about this. So here's what she said exactly. Um, she said, no, no, he goes on a very big journey during these two plays. And then, yeah, I think we're done. This is the next generation, you know. So I'm thrilled to see it realized so beautifully. But no, Harry is done now. It's significant because J.K. Rowling had previously said, never say never, never say never, I may write another story. But this seems very definitive. Right. I I agree with what Gina said, though. I think because of the level of mixed reaction, this may be a little bit hard for some people to accept. And while his story may be complete, does that necessarily mean that Albus's or Scorpius's or any of the other characters, even looking at the fact that we have another three movies that are set to come out, uh, on Newt's commander, does it mean that the world is completely shut off or does no. it just mean that his story is done? And I think this point in particular ties well into the larger discussion about do we even want to accept this as being canon? I know that there's a lot to talk about there. A lot of people don't want to accept it as canon and I think that they have good reason to want to not do that, but if she's saying that it is in fact canon, now you're getting into a debate between listeners and the author, and the author has really the the final word. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to 
accepted as canon once she says, hey, this is canon. But I don't think we have to like it. So, yeah. you know, somebody pointed out something interesting to me, because you know how we have book canon and movie canon? Mm-hmm. Uh, J.K.R. saying that the Cursed Child is canon, couldn't it just be like a third universe, like a third set of canon where in the play, these are the people that these characters have become. And then so now we can just have like a totally separate from for our heads. Like it doesn't interfere with the way the books happened. It doesn't interfere with the characterization of characters in the movies. It's its own third thing. Where it's well, like the origin is kind of referential to the books, but not completely, you know, like, can it be its own thing and still be, I guess, the word canon? Or is that escape? Would, is that like normally I would I would say, yes, it, it can be. But because and we can get into this later, it goes into book canon. That's where you have the problem. Right. Well, I mean. But things are presented a little bit differently in the style of the play, like Ludo Bagman's lines entering the tasks and stuff that weren't in the books. I, I, I feel more comfortable uh, if it, you know, is is its own is its own canon. Like you could do more plays, although I wouldn't want them. Uh, you could do more plays in the world of Cursed Child. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I, know. I think when Rowling said the next, you know, this is the next generation, she might be hinting that something could be coming with. Albus Scorpius and potentially Rose in the future, um, mm. but I think for all intents and purposes, Harry Potter story is done. And as Gina was saying, it, it does make you wonder. In light of maybe not necessarily in light of the reception, because she said this, she hasn't addressed the reception. Yeah, really. but but it's like, do you really want to end it here? Because what what I what I keep thinking about is how. People are, let's say, new generations are going to discover the Harry Potter series and they're going to go through the seven books and be so into it. And then inevitably, they're going to read Cursed Child. And then that's where they're ending this. They're ending it on what a lot of people are describing as a fan fiction. <laughs> and well, it, just seems, it's, it's it really, just seems wrong. It's a, it's a low note for Harry. Um, he spends most of the play completely in the dark, incapable of human connection with his children. Mm. Uh, and it's not a it's not a high note. You know, if you end with book seven, where we had ended nine years ago, it's Harry embraces love, understands all everything there is to know about sacrifice, saves the entire wizarding world. It's a big high note. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing him a bumbling ministry official with a messy office is not anybody's idea of, of, of a hero. It really takes him down several thousand pegs so i i i I think that you know even even the little bit of resolution that comes to harry at the end of the play is really not enough to undo the damage that i think has been dealt to our hero in this play the play is about other people though play isn't really about harry at all i would argue Mm -hmm. Um, but it is harry potter and the first child yeah Mm -hmm. which i keep forgetting i'll be curious to see if they include this book in a box set. I right. have a feeling J.K. Rowling will say no to that. But on the other I, hand, you know the does. publishers will want to do it because that'll help push some more sales. If they include Isn't it in a, a box point? set, I think that'll be very dangerous. Not a good idea. Because <laughs> then at um, that point, you're I'll... essentially saying that this is the eighth book. Not the well, and story, that's, and that's honestly what she's already said. It's canon, so why wouldn't they do a box? I mean, isn't there a certain point of a box set where you stop making a box set? Like, it's, the boxes have gotten so big no. over the years. Well, that, hang on yeah. a second. Have um, 
Have, haven't they said, like, this is not the eighth book? Didn't they make that distinction they've, before? They've yeah. said story, and they've been using story because they know if they say eighth book, it would be perilous. People would be angry. Yeah. At okay. least I, maybe there's some legal ramifications as well. Maybe. Now I'm thinking it's hard to say it's the eighth book. It's not the eighth book, but it's canon. That seems contradictory to me. Yeah. Well, it's also not a novel. But I, I think what yeah. they'll end up doing, on a box set of all eight books, they'll say all eight stories in Harry's universe, you know? Um, they'll they'll begin calling the original books stories, too, just so they fit better with yeah. the the eighth one. Um, maybe there'll be a box set of all 12, actually, or all 11, the Fantastic Beasts and uh, Quidditch right. and Beetle. Well, I was just going to say, we'll have to keep an eye out for that when Fantastic Beasts comes out again. In, well, in book form. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, don't forget the Fantastic Beasts script book they're doing as well later this year. Oh, that's so, right. So maybe I, they'll put mm, Fantastic Beasts and Cursed Child together, like the script collection, the Harry Potter script collection. I think, oh, yeah, they're going to start you know They're going to working on a new box set. I bet that. I Andrew, I think that'll be a thing. And I bet yeah. they will also have a... They'll have two box sets, a Fantastic Beasts book... And Quidditch Through the Ages new box set and the two scripts box set. Yeah. And, aren't they and, extending, and a new and, seven books box set. Aren't, aren't they extending Fantastic Beasts, uh, the book, to a longer book to include Beasts from the film? Did they are re-releasing it early next year. So we'll see what's okay. in that. I think it has a new forward from J.K. Rowling, they said, and some other things. A.K.A. Like, Dumbledore? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably with edits about Newt's... Uh, time at school yeah ex- exactly <laughs> still so curious about and that probably some photos from the movie yeah of the creatures and then don't cool forget they're also re-releasing cursed child the definitive definitive edition that's coming out early next year what does I'm, that mean though it, yeah so, andrew wh- how different was what you read not at all from what you saw not okay. at all so actually i talked to somebody who would know and apparently this version of the script is very early. It's from it's from early June, so right around when I saw it. So the definitive edition is supposedly going supposedly going to include some changes based on what they learned during rehearsals, I get or during the preview performances. But I'm also imagining like it'll be printed maybe it'll be printed like on glossy paper or maybe there'll be some uh, forward by JK Rowling or maybe like a character guide. I don't know, they got to add a bunch of stuff. A ten-page-long apology from J.K. Rowling, John <laughs> Tiffany, and Jack Thorne. You know what? It just occurred to me. Uh, actually, joking aside, um, one of the MuggleNet staffers, Mary, is at Cursed Child today. Since it's publicly open, and she actually read the whole script first, I'm going to ask her directly what has yeah. changed. Yeah. Because obviously, you saw the very first preview, Andrew. The very first. So if there was ever going to be a, a um, a version uh, live that fits the book perfectly. It was the one you saw, but now right. that it's opened, officially opened, and it's been open for a week, and presumably they've stopped making changes. I really want to pick her brain about what exactly was changed, and I want to find out, and I'll report back. Okay, sounds good. So let's move into one our- thing that uh, I just wanted to uh, to touch on, and and it may help kind of just lead into the overall discussion that we're going to have is. Going back to Eric's point about how this book doesn't really feel much about Harry, even though it's called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And Andrew, I think you and I may have texted about this a little bit, 
part of the the overall issue that I have with this book is that at its core, it's very difficult to understand where this relationship between Albus and Harry went so wrong. I mean, you're kind of immersed into it right at the very start that there's clearly something amiss between the two of them. But I think you don't really get the fundamental understanding over time, like maybe you would if this was a seven-part series, as to why it is that these two just don't seem to get along very well. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, and I'm sure we're about to get into this, but I think that their relationship is typical of a teenager and a dad when the teenager starts to rebel and you just don't get along that well. Yeah, but your son isn't going to go back in time and try and just to change the course of history well, just my, because he's pissed at you. My son doesn't have a time turner. No, he, he did. <laughs> Albus, you know of. Albus, Albus didn't do that because he was pissed at him necessarily. He did that because he wanted to do something good. He wanted to... He wanted he was he was bad in Hogwarts. He 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 couldn't get his broom to come up during Quidditch le- or bloom, broom <laughs> lessons. He he couldn't do spells. He wanted to find the up. purpose. He wanted to make an impact on the world and uh even though he didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps, he did anyway by going back in time uh to yeah. Goblet of Fire. Anyway, let's get into this now. So obviously there's a lot to talk about. All of us have just reread it. I I, I got through part one pretty quick um i started reading it rereading it last night and i finished it this morning um i do love how easy it is to get through this in script format um so we're we're, we have a we have a bunch of points we're going to try to tackle today and then like i said our next episode is going to be part two and then after that we'll go back and discuss whatever anybody wants in the episodes to come so you all ready ready Let's open our Ready. books to page one. <laughs> so, or seven, actually. Doesn't it start on page seven? Yes, it's very it magical. Does. Yes. Aww, <laughs> I didn't point, even notice Eric. that. <laughs> Only Eric would say something so random like that, but actually that has purpose. So good call, Eric. Um, so let's start with 19 years later. This is the epilogue scene. We're essentially picking up right where we left off in Deathly Hallows. I wanted to discuss some canon that we learned straight off the bat. Um, <clears throat> First of all, we hear that Ron is running a Weasley, 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 Weasley Wizard Weasley shop, uh, even though there's no mention of George doing the same. Does Ron seem like a businessman to you guys? He doesn't really to me. Not this version of Ron. Uh, I think I wouldn't say businessman, um, but didn't we know before this that he helped out in the shop after think, the battle i think joe said that uh yeah because okay. fred and george had that assistant um blanking on her name victoria or precious or something i'm gonna look it up precious uh it's uh destiny or i'm gonna look this up oh, wow. um it was we just uh, used it in well, a, while you but anyway up, but then though, ron helped okay go on uh, one of the Sorry. things that struck me about ron's character is that all of a sudden he's apparently a comedian which I don't really remember him being much of one in the series. So this is all news to me. I mean, Albus talks about it a couple of times, how funny Ron is. Was Ron funny? Like, did I miss something? Okay, I will defend this because I was waiting for this. I will defend this until the end. I 
loved this character edition evolution. I loved it. It made total sense in my head. I agree. Because he, to me, Ron had to start helping out at the joke shop once Fred had passed. And he knew, especially for his mom and George, that they needed funny. They, they, They couldn't just be sad all the time. Like there was a time and a place. And I think he took it upon himself to pull, especially those two and then the, and the entire family out. And he just developed this like sense of humor. And I see a lot of throughout the book. I see a lot of Arthur in him as well. I see Fred and Arthur in this. There is a, there is a goofy dad uh, precedent in, the Weasley family, and that would be Arthur. So there's that. I also saw it mentioned someone because I, I me, mean, I personally feel that Ron is a caricature of a, his former self. There was a lot more going on uh, to Ron Weasley in the books than ever translated into the film, and this feels yeah. more like this feels more like movie Ron grown up uh, to me. But I read an, um, you know, I've been reading a lot of articles and a lot of criticisms or critiques or or responses from people, and one of the fans and I. I forget where I found it, but they're just like, you know, it's actually a mark of bravery to continue to tell jokes through tough times. Mm. And so they really saw the Gryffindor and Ron through the fact that he's still just like such a jokester. Um, And I I don't know how I feel about it, but there you are, you know, like there's, there seems to be a split audience on whether this Ron is, you know, really reduced uh, to just doing jokes or if he's actually a, a full, I don't know, logical uh, offshoot of where we left him at the at the epilogue. I think two things. It they needed a comic relief type of character, so I think they gave him a lot of funny lines like this for this specific reason. And also, it speaks to Ron's confidence and where he is now. Ron Ron was mm-hmm. not this confident in the original series, and now you see, as he's an adult, he's 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 married, he has kids, he's happy, mm-hmm. and. He's he's grown up to be very similar to his brother. So I think it falls perfectly in line with his character. And I like to see this this confident Ron. All right. Does this confidence, does this humor translate over to the actual show? Yeah, I think it does. And again, I maybe maybe that's why I'm arguing the comic relief point here, because he does get most of the laughs during the play on stage. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, people Instead of laughing at him, as yeah. many would do in the series, they're kind of laughing with him. Right. Is that fair to say? Right. Something else we learned during the scene is that Ron thought Ginny could head into Slytherin. And apparently, according to Ron, Fred and George kept books, meaning like bets, on mm-hmm. these characters and where they would be sorted back during the original series. So what 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 why would Ron actually think that Ginny could head into Slytherin? Is, I, I don't buy this at all. This, to, this I buy it. To me, nope. I, buy I, it. I thought it was You're a little wrong. I thought it was a little nod to the Chamber of Secrets, like with Ginny getting t- tied up with Tom Riddle. I, I don't think there's anything to indicate in ten or eleven year old shy Ginny that she would ever be a Slytherin. I, I like for her brothers even to say that is like a, oh we thought you might be in Slytherin. There was nothing about her that screamed uh, ambitious or cunning or or oh, anything. I I think she was and is ambitious. 
I think the fact that at 10 and 11, she could keep pace with her, uh, what were they? 14, 15 year old brothers, Fred, mm. what were Fred and George? Um, yeah, the fact that. that she could keep pace with them and go along with their shenanigans. And I, I think they, they saw more in her and they, they saw a little bit of Slytherin in her. Not that she like, everyone thinks Slytherin's just bad, but I just think they saw a go-getter. So See, this is, this is where me like right on page eight or nine is where me and the play start to have issues. This reference is, this reference is thrown in here specifically to foreshadow uh, Albus's sorting into Slytherin and not Gryffindor, right? You, you have so? a family. Yeah, you have parents who are both in Gryffindor, and then he's uh, put in Slytherin. And so Ron's saying, oh, yeah, Ginny, we thought you might be in Slytherin. Oh, really? And it leads into, you know, that is totally there. Like, they're, they're, they're really being careless and just, like, throwing things that we make sense of because we've grown up with the books, but, like, it, it's forcing us to rethink the existing canon, forcing us to rethink the existing right. seven and, books. And that and that pisses me off. And so this is one of those moments where I ask myself the question, was this written by J.K. Rowling? Is it something that she included Extinction. into the script? Or was it something that was just in the mind of either John Tiffany or Jack Thorne, and they thought that, they've always considered the fact that Ginny could potentially be in Slytherin. So why not just write it into the play? It's just, it's the throwaway line. You don't even need it. You don't even need it in this play, but it's there. And it's just like, it well, offends me. I'm sorry. I think it's the it first of many the, moments, the goofiness of the Weasley twins and Ron, like the keeping books yeah. thing. That's definitely a Fred and George thing. So I think that's why it got brought up. Yeah. Well, actually keep, and keeping, keeping books uh, reminds me of Fred and George's bet. Remember, people thought it used to be a rumor that they had a time turner in Harry's fourth year mm. uh, because they predicted the successful outcome of the uh, Quidditch World Cup. Remember, with Ludo Bagman embedded? Mm. So there is that as well. Ooh. That kind of reminded me of that. And that was very interesting while reading Curse Child to remember that. Speaking of foreshadowing, at page 17 in the US edition, by the way, I think it's two pages <laughs> off in the UK edition. Um, we hear the first rumors of Scorpius being Voldemort's son. And when, when I first heard this in the play, and I imagine people who were reading it got the same feeling, it was shocking. But at the same time, you knew it couldn't be true because they wouldn't introduce such a big twist at the very beginning. Like, if it, if it led to this actually being true, that wouldn't have been much of a surprise from from a storytelling perspective. But what it does do, I think, is prepare people for the big shock to come. So, like, they're introducing this twist to kind of, like, get people's toes warm, so to speak. And then and then when the, the Voldemort Bellatrix thing comes out, then it's like, oh, okay, that's not... It's still completely shocking, but it's not as shocking because they warned us that something like this could be happening with a child of Voldemort. Can... Can somebody explain to me, though, how this would even be possible for Scorpius to be Voldemort's son? So, well, it's explained <laughs> in the book. It has to do with time turning, right? <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. The but... theory is, well, the theory is that Draco couldn't, Draco and Astoria couldn't conceive. So Draco sent his wife back in time to sleep with Voldemort. And then I guess had a baby. Then she traveled back in the future and had a baby. 
how does this rumor even get I think started? that defies the laws of time, though. How, how does this rumor even get started? Where is the natural, coming from the seven books, where is the natural origin of something this ridiculous, this preposterous, this absurd to exist in present day? And it's thrown out, again, casually. Oh, I get taunted because people think I'm the son of Voldemort. It did seem what? random, but enticing. <laughs> it's, no, uh, I didn't feel it was enticing. The thought of like a 15-year-old girl going after Voldemort who never wanted to be touched. I mean, I'm sure it was when she was older. I'm sure it was when Astoria was older. The thing with time is you can go back. Oh, yeah. You go back any time. I forgot. Either way. But either, and then it would make it so it's not Draco's son, you know, and like... Gosh, I just I struggled to find words to even adequately like humor this possibility of this rumor. Here's uh, something from Kayla, one of our patrons on Patreon. Uh, question: How is there a rumor that Scorpius is Voldemort's son if it is universally accepted that the Time Turners were all destroyed after Order of the Phoenix? And if it wasn't universally accepted that all the Time Turners were destroyed, then why was everyone making such a big deal when the Ministry found Theodore Knott's Time Turner? Scorpius's age doesn't line up with the timeline. The whole rumor makes no sense to me. Thank you. I think um, people I just to wanted to to crap on the Malfoys. Yeah. Well, and it is also mentioned in part one somewhere that there have been rumors time and time again that Voldemort did have a child. I mean, right. if we're considering this all canon, then it... it I, the Wizarding World's a big place. I would never have been convinced that all the time turners were truly removed, though I do find it silly that two ended up being conveniently available <laughs> to the characters right. in Cursed Child. Um, and we'll right. talk more about the time turners in a little One bit. One that only lasts for five minutes. Right. I, I think I think that I think that it's uh, reasonable to assume there would be a rumor at some point that Voldemort had kids, right? Like. Yeah. You begin to speculate after a big war, like what if, what if, you know, what if Hitler had a a secret child? Right, because you uh, want to make you know, sure that his family line is truly finished. Yeah, you want to make sure that the evil cannot return. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I get the idea that there would be a rumor or several rumors in, in sort of the general sense, but specifically a rumor that Draco Malfoy sent his wife back in time uh, to, to, to have Voldemort's child, I, I just... I don't understand how that sort of thing can even like perpetuate, but also the fact that where all of the eleven-year-old first-year students at Hogwarts know about it and are picking on Scorpius for it. Mm. I don't get it. I don't quite. It's not quite connected. But it's, it does. Um, it does make yeah. sense from the perspective of Albus and Scorpius both going through the same type of thing right now. It, it serves as a way for them to bond. Both of them have this parentage that haunts them potentially albert for right. albus he's he's haunted by his father's success and for scorpius he may be haunted by the fact that he actually is voldemort's son i think later in the book he actually starts to believe it doesn't he he says he says something about you know sometimes i think maybe i am or i can't, I can't remember what it yeah, was exactly. It, but. yeah it's interesting it, yeah they definitely didn't pick the most like grounded way of showing that albus and scorpius have a lot in common but that's just a choice they made, you know, but that this rumor, I think from the outset really just shocked me and stunned me. And of course it, it just causes a certain reaction that is not at all favorable. Um, Who knew that Voldemort was such a player? 
<laughs> that's the other part like uh, I, I find yeah. a lot of people i find a lot of people talking about you know the physicality of it i andrew we had one or two walks from the convention center talking about so voldemort has a dick you know, uh, well yeah and I, my joke was it's forked like a snake's tongue um but yeah. you know it's just these are things you never want to like think about but it, it kind of what doesn't sit well with me and I, I read this a lot in in um recaps is that people don't believe Voldemort would have had a child, right? Children are a wonderful way of extending your legacy. They, they, they carry on your genes. They're a way of living forever, but they're a way that Voldemort would never have tried, just like the way Agreed. that he was, he was completely incapable of understanding love. He'd be completely unaccepting of this idea that you further your own life by, by having children. He was all about extending his own life to the point where he made eight, <laughs> Horcrux is trying to to do just that to live forever. He never would have like intentionally attempted to have offspring. And I think if he, you know, supposedly slept with Bella, I, I just sure she would have wanted it, but I, I just don't see how that could have ever come about. He he was too selfish to think that his plan wouldn't win out, that he wouldn't have thought of a backup plan of a child. Like that wouldn't that would not have been a factor. He wouldn't have had a plan B because he, in his mind, was going to win and going to kill Harry Potter. Right. So, I mean, I think, and the point is, yeah, and Gina, you overall, you like this play. Um, yes. And, and Andrew, I found you being very apologetic for it as well, which is great. <laughs> I mean, we're kind, of, we're kind of half and half on this, but this is my point, though. There are still issues I think that everyone can acknowledge yeah. are a little strange or a little I enjoy it for what it is. It, it got the fandom out for midnight release parties. It was good to have that, that experience did. again. I've, I've enjoyed reading the story. Yes, it has its problems, but I, I'd rather this exist than, than not, personally. Well, that's uh, a good that's so yeah. let's move a little forward in the story. So the first years at Hogwarts, we get this in a montage, and I think this kind of surprised everybody because... I get since the secrets were so well kept before preview performances started, we all kind of assumed, I think, that this would maybe only focus on Albus's first year. I don't think we right. assumed it would jump to to year four. Um, but yeah, so Harry gives Albus the blanket from Petunia. I think that was one of the things we should definitely discuss. This is the blanket that Harry was delivered in to the Dursleys all those years ago. We also find out that in this scene that petunia died uh from unknown causes uh right. well he doesn't explain how she died exactly so why do we think petunia saved the blanket does this play into the fact that we've always known that petunia did care for harry and and did love lily and was always jealous of not being a, a witch herself maybe yeah um I uh, it is surprising that she kept this all that time. And like, and, and Dudley this, thought she wanted Harry to have it. It's mentioned too, right? Well, and and I rereading this scene just um like half an hour ago actually before we started recording, uh, I thought it was very sweet on uh sort of seeing Dudley's character, you know, sort of like making sure that Harry got it, you know, and that mm -hmm. that Harry and and D Dudley, who's not in the play but is mentioned, is. They, they seem to be on good terms, you know, and it seems to be canon compliant. This is this is a bold move, I think, to include 
to, to basically have this relic from the seven Harry Potter books, from the first Harry Potter book, the very first chapter, the very first Harry Potter book, to have this relic resurface. And it's it's totally legit. Obviously, there was a blanket he was in um, when he was delivered to the Dursley's door. And have it play such a big role in this play, that's kind of cool. It's It stuns me by like how bold that is, but it ultimately is kind of cool um, that this blanket exists, that Harry wants to hold it on, you know, All Hallows Eve as he reflects on the death of his parents. I ultimately, I, I like this blanket, uh, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Eric approves of the blanket. I don't know. It's I'm trying to I, say things that I approve of because the rest of it is... I approve of the blanket in this part. Um, I don't love it later on. But yeah, how, how, I, how it gets used is is difficult to follow. It's reaching. Um, yes, it is. But I I love this scene. This is probably one of my favorite scenes because Harry is just trying so hard to show his son that he does love him and, and how much he loves him. And uh, it, it's, it's not hitting home, but he he's just trying so hard. Yeah. I, and... There's a lot of Harry I don't love in this show. Um, I think they took his character in weird ways. But this is, like, one of my favorite scenes. I mean, he only tries on September the 1st of each year. That's that's apparent. That's, uh, that's, that's apparent. September that changes, though. No, I don't think that's true. Well, that, yeah. that goes back to the point that I was making about not getting to see enough of the development of the relationship between father and son. Like, we only yeah, see true. certain moments that are pulled out and and included in this play but clearly there's more that happens between the two of them throughout the course of the years I mean, and this blanket, that's this kind blanket, of left out this blanket is year four i mean for crying out loud. like let's go back really quickly just to year one albus is stranded on the uh quidditch pitch or wherever it is they're doing broomstick training and he can't get his broomstick to come to him are you seriously telling me that the child of harry potter famed gryffindor seeker and Ginny Weasley, worldwide Quidditch player, cannot that this is the first time he's ever tried to pick up a broom. Look, I mean, if we go back have to what broom the Weasleys, dysfunction, that's why there's no, Cialis. No, no, they, no, they don't. Not not this child. There's two reasons. One, blood. Okay, you know, remember how Harry? It was the one thing he was good at, but it came naturally to him because of the blood in his veins. Like we assume, because. James was such a good seeker. So there's that. There's also just the idea that what do you think these kids would be doing the first 11 years of their life before Hogwarts? I think the son and the daughters of uh, Harry Potter and Ginny Weasley would be where the same way the Weasleys grew up doing that. Albus would have ridden a broom hundreds of thousands of times before the first broomstick lesson. And I call bullshit. Frankly, I call bullshit on Albus not. I understand how it serves as a story. I understand, oh, he's different. He's the Slytherin Potter. I get it. But in the way that they chose to do that, it doesn't work for me at all. It doesn't make any sense that at scene, all. That scene was when I first, uh, maybe the second, but it was when I was like solidified in my theory that he was the cursed child and he was actually Voldemort's son. Oh. I, I, had a, I had a theory, like, throughout the first act, I was like, he's actually Voldemort's son. And it's not actually like, someone had relations with Voldemort. I had this awesome theory 
that because Harry had been part of a Horcrux, and Ginny had also had Voldemort in her at one point, that that melded, and we got Albus Severus as as a Voldemort. So it's, it skipped a kid, so James was born. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't actually in the skip a kid, but yeah, yeah, yeah. somehow. No. Well, it's easy somehow to forget. That, James. I had that going the entire first act. It's kind no, of I don't know. I don't I, know, yeah, Eric. I don't know how I feel about that. Sometimes well, people better... just have an issue getting their broom up. It's nothing to uh, shame Albus for. Well, Gina, I would just say that I, I think that's better well thought out than some of the other stuff in here. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so before we go before we go back to year four, can I say one more thing? And this is this is gonna be sound gripey, but like again, this is year one, this is the very first, this is the nineteen years later epilogue thing. And Albus is like, How do I get on the platform? And Harry's like, Oh, you walk straight through the thing and best do it at a bit of a run if you're nervous. And it's such like a Molly Weasley callback line. It's and an exact I, I thought it was callback even, line. I, yeah, I thought it wasn't in book one i thought it was just a movieism then i reread book one furiously and it actually was in there and i was very disappointed um but the thing is albus has been on platform nine and three quarters before okay people he absolutely has the very next moment all all of the potter and weasley children are on the platform lily runs to chase the train off they've all been on the platform before why does albus ask how to get on the platform because it gives an harry an opportunity to quote mrs weasley so that the audience loves it like it just but that's the thing characters and this i'm probably going to be saying this a lot later and 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 during our part two discussion for the rest of time the cursed child is entertainment it's a night at the theater it's it's to please harry potter fans it's not necessarily to advance the story the story of harry potter really doesn't advance at all by the end of this play so much happens in the past on purpose because they didn't jk rowling or the playwriters, when they first came to Rowling, they probably said to her, look, we have this idea for a story. Don't worry. It's not going to change a lot of your story. It's a self-contained story. Uh, we do learn a couple of things. But so these callbacks, these moments of fan service are designed to please people who are sitting in the, in the theater. That's it. I don't know if J.K. Rowling even cares what people think of the script book. She just cares what people think of it on stage because that's its purpose. That's actually a then why good release point. it? Because she had why? to. You had to. Why? Because she she wanted to. Because she wanted then more we... people to know the story. Right. Not everyone can see the show. Exactly. So she alleges everyone will be able to. Right. She does allege that. Um, you know, I, I think for me, for me, the problem that I have with with part one, uh, in general, as we go along, it, it dissipates. But you know, these characters feel very stunted. It seems like Harry never had to be a father until this moment on page seven when the play opens. It feels like uh, Albus never had, like he's never on the platform. He never rode a broom. It's unrealistic. These characters have had no opportunity to, to grow and get to know each other before they were put on the page in this scene. You're not introduced to characters who already know each other, already have problems with each other. They, they just, they, these characters are this certain way and they just develop they aren't allowed to develop off screen. We're essentially getting dumb 17 year old Harry uh, who hasn't learned a thing about the world. And same with, with everyone else. I, like, I disagree with that. I mean, if you look at the scene with Hermione, which coming comes up a little later, but when she calls the all ministry hearing and she just gets shut out by Draco saying one thing and walking and she's like, but wait, no, that wasn't, 
and everybody walks out. She's the minister for magic for crying out loud. That... And right immediately she's back at 15-year-old Hermione and the Dumbledore's army who can't, you know, who who is trying to deal with uh dissenters and she can't cope. I don't believe it at all. I think it shortchanges all of their characters. I'm really that scene is more to me, it's more damaging to Draco, but we can talk about that when we get there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry for keeping. I'm I'm just using my time turner, my secret time turner, <laughs> to jump us all around. I apologize. I will defer to the rest of you. Well, do you want to finish your point, Gina, and then we'll move on? I just uh, I we we have to get there when we get there. Okay. But I just I remember that because I just reread that scene. Like I remember thinking, Draco you have absolutely learned nothing. And I felt like in the prologue of seven, like it seemed like there had been a resolution between Harry and Draco off screen. And throughout this entire play, it just shows that that never happened. Mm. The relationship is strained. The relationship is strained because of this rumor, which shouldn't exist, which should never, you know, And Draco specifically asks Harry to do everything he can to squash the rumor, and and Harry doesn't seem willing to do it. Because It seems disingenuous. No, you know, I was thinking about this while rereading this. I think because if they were to squash it, then it would validate it. I think that's what Harry says. And I agree with him. That's what Harry says. Uh, but no, but I, I, I agree with Harry because because what are they going to do? And I think Harry also mentions at this scene that these rumors come up every few years. So they're going to start addressing them every few years. And, and, and does the ministry claiming that, you know, these, val- these rumors aren't true, does it actually solve anything? Because guess what? They ended up being true. <laughs> they did end up being true. But this shows to how, how bad Harry and everyone else in the entire world is at their job. Uh, because, you know, this rumor wouldn't exist if, if we had sort of a leading force in the ministry who actually immediately following the end of the of, of Voldemort's reign of terror, the end of the Great Wizarding World War, the Battle of Hogwarts, actually looked into and investigated uh, to make sure that this stuff couldn't possibly happen. There's a lot of high expectations I have for what wizards in the Wizarding World would have done immediately following Voldemort's downfall at the end of Book 7 that don't pay off in this play. People are still able to sneak into Hogwarts who don't belong there, like Delphi. Uh, people are still into, you're able to break into the Ministry of Magic minister's office with Alohomora. Hello, Hermione. You've used this spell to get into locked doors before, and Scorpius is able to Alohomora to get into your office. Yes. This, well, these characters are unforgivably, unforgivably stupid. Let's, unforgivably. let's jump there you, once like they, we actually... not go there yeah okay because i wanted to talk about something andrew i think that you put in this document about the line i wish you weren't my son which which harry speaks kind of at the end of this this, this montage when he's talking with albus and it gets heated and look i can understand the fact that albus is maybe a little bit too naive to appreciate the value of what harry is giving to him in the blanket and when he looks at the fact that his brother got the invisibility cloak, his sister got something cool as well, which is escaping my mind right now. But the love potion, this no? Does... She got fairy wings. Oh, fairy wings. Oh, yeah. fairy wings. That's right. Which was weird foreshadowing. Which I I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, anyway. not entirely sure Albus would want those. But uh, the point being that I don't foresee this as something that Harry would say to his son. 
And and I agree with you said a lot of people have said this. There are moments throughout the course of this act um, or or sorry, this part and and even the entire play that just uncharacteristic Harry Potter, you know, his 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 conversation with McGonagall, which we can talk about where he treats her like absolute shit. Oh, my God. That Uh, scene. You know, these moments again, I get it. He's an adult. People mature. They they develop different personality traits over time, but I can never see this character saying to one of his children that he wishes that they weren't his own. And can you explain okay. that further? Why? Because everybody is saying this. I think this is the one major sticking point. Oh, can you explain and why have, you think I Harry? I have a defense would... for this after Micah. Okay. I have a defense for this. But Micah, go. Because he was orphaned. I, I mean, yeah. that's what jumps to my mind first and foremost. You know, he lost both of his parents at a very young age. Why he would ever turn around to any of his children and say that he wishes that they weren't his own. Yeah. And just, and, and just given who he is and, and the story that we read about him for many, many years, that this to me is not Harry. That That's almost something that you could expect coming through if he still had parts of Voldemort inside of him. Right. So, Gina, what's your defense? Micah, you, to me, you hit it on the head. It, Harry was an orphan. Harry went to Hogwarts with nothing. He had nothing for 11 solid years of his life. And even when he was at Hogwarts, like, uh, Harry said this, and it took a while, it took a second and third time reading this scene again, to get it, Harry says this because he can't, he doesn't understand his son and, and somewhat of the ungratefulness that he has. Not that his son is spoiled, per se, but the things that Harry appreciated at his age and the things that Harry loved and and the kindness that he received from others that he thought was like the greatest thing ever his son doesn't give a crap about and that's why harry doesn't understand how his son could be like this his son could just be so nonchalant about the world i i do think this scene really serves i i think i can see what john and jack were trying to do with this uh which is to bring out the inevitable confrontation that that parents always have with their children. Your children will say things that completely disarm you, completely and utterly reduce you to the very core of your being uh, and cause you to lash out and cause you to think really unhealthy thoughts. I, I think that could probably be said about like all children and their parents at some point. This is the scene that's designed to represent that. This is the scene that shows that no one can hurt you more than the ones you love than the ones you're you're the parents of. So I, mm. I get it. I, I get I get that the scene serves that that's at least the purpose that I believe the scene is serving to really reduce Harry to like just the bottom most uh form of himself. I don't agree he would react this way. I I, I, I think I'm you know I'm with you. I think that ultimately a lot of these parenting issues um that we're seeing the trio have sh- should have really have been nipped in the bud. It, it, it's done a disservice by the fact that all of a sudden we're in year four. But he's now the parent of a 14-year-old in Albus and a 15 or 16-year-old, depending on how old James is. You know, he's had 16 years to get to know his children, and Ginny has too. And they've ultimately been – they've failed. This is what I'm talking about when I say stunted growth. 
these issues with Albus's very nature conflicting with Harry's would have realistically been resolved years before Albus ever went to Hogwarts. Well, or in the first year. Think about this, Eric. Side sidebar to another podcast we've been on, another hypable podcast, Resistance Radio, where we discuss Kylo Ren and how he turned out by his parents, uh, Leia and Han. They were both so that he that they were absent. Both Harry and Ginny have been, um, she was a Quidditch star and now she works for the Daily Prophet. He's been a ministry person kind of trying to blend in with society and not get gawked at the entire time. Um, so the theory they, being that may, Maybe this is another Kylo Ren situation where they they were too busy to be yeah. helicopter parents that... They missed out on a lot. Well, doesn't I just don't it, see that for Harry it, and Ginny. But doesn't I, it say yeah. that towards the end of part one here? That probably that, <laughs> it's, it's brought up. It's brought up that Voldemort, that Tom Riddle turned out bad because nobody ever took him out of the darkness. Albus needs somebody to take him out of the darkness, and that's what Harry realizes. So that's why Harry starts protecting him. So kind of the same thing with with Kylo Ren. I mean. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe we're talking Star Wars yeah. now. I know. <laughs> but Kyle, I, No, but I think it makes sense. The, the idea that, that Ginny and Harry would be helicopter parents, that they wouldn't, or that they wouldn't, you know, they would hold their children at arm's length, doesn't sit well with me at all whatsoever. Um, but I, I can see how that might be something that the play is trying to say. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing, too, is these arguments do take place between children and, and parents, and um, I guess we should have a parent on our show at, at some point to talk through these types of things, maybe for a future episode when we talk about the second act or the second part, I don't Parents know. Like teenagers reach in. <laughs> you know, uh, there are moments like this, but as a result of that, your, uh, your son or your daughter doesn't turn around and, and, and try and, you know, sort of rewrite history as a result of, of arguments that take place. And that's kind of my point from earlier on. It, it's, it's an extreme action that Albus chooses to undertake as a result, really, I think, of this moment. And then what follows it when he overhears a conversation between Amos and Harry. So let's kind of, yeah, go on. Let, let's keep moving through this. Um, James points out who's listening live via patron. He says that uh, Harry didn't mean it, though, regarding the regarding that I wish you were never my son. He regretted saying it immediately, which is true. And and I, mm-hmm. I like that defense. Harry just got so fed up for a moment. He, he just lost control temporarily. Um, yeah. I, and I don't know. I don't. Is that an excuse? Mm, not necessarily. Uh, but I think no, but I think it is but... something to take into consideration. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, one of the under, uh, other unfortunate casualties of this play is Ginny's character. Uh, Ginny in the play, and I, I look, I just reread the, 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 the entire part one this morning. Uh, Ginny exists to uh, call scorn on Harry's bad parenting. Like, it, it's almost as if it makes Harry's terrible parenting decisions okay because Ginny's able to make a drier than dry, says the stage directions, joke about how terrible he is. And I, I, I'm not quite okay with that because parenting is also like it's a two-way thing and Ginny also raised this child to to dislike Harry to dislike what does he say in year three before this scene uh I don't like Hogsmeade because it's got Hogwarts students in it like 
what the hell? You're raising a sociopath? Like, these are these are red flags that should have called been called up way before. I hate to make the same point over again, but I, I, I find it really interesting that both Harry and Ginny would allow the situation to degrade this far. Uh, and, you know, that, that essentially Albus would be going off to school in his fourth year, about to embark on this uh, dastardly journey, uh, you know, without sort of the, knowing that his parents love him. I, I find it so much of a, an error. Uh, Nanette, who's also listening on Patreon, she says, I'm a parent. My oldest son is 15. I say things to him in anger that I ask for forgiveness for. And you know what? I, I actually remember one time my mom and I, when I, when I was a, a young kid, um, she got really mad at me. And she once told me to go to hell. And then, of course, she regretted it later. But, like, these are just the kind of things that happen as a parent. And I'm sure if I asked my mom about that now, she would be, in the, be insanely regretful. But you yeah. just get in these heated fights with your parents sometimes. Anyway, um, one more thing about this blanket. I thought this was a nice little bit of foreshadowing. Harry says he wants to be with the blanket on Hollow's Eve. He says that right. could be good for the two of us. End quote. It does end up being good, just not in the way Harry expects it. They do end up being together on Hollow's Eve, but in the 80s. <laughs> so I guess the crux of this story really takes place, rather than it being a year of Hogwarts, it's essentially the future only ages two months, right? Because it's like from September 1st to October 30, because it has to be October 31st in the future in order for Harry to see the message and go back in time and stop Voldemort or stop Delphi, right? So it's like... Or it's three years and two months. I'm trying to figure out my brain is fried because Harry has a time turner that can go back to any point in time. It's not limited in any way, shape, or form. At least that's the way that I understood it. Oh, right. But he can't see the message on the blanket until after he goes into uh, Albus's room on Hollow's Eve to hold the blanket. Right? Like, and that's the future most point in time we see the play i guess it's more of an act two question um, yeah let's save it because was... i'll need to reread okay. that yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm confused yeah uh um, so moving on to the delphi and amos visit this is when albus starts to find his purpose uh he overhears amos asking harry to use the time turner uh to bring back his son and when you hear this i remember watching the scene in the play and just thinking like it became it was becoming increasingly apparent that this story was actually going to have a heavy focus on Goblet of Fire, which I found mm-hmm. so interesting because J.K. Rowling has always said that this is the book that she was rushed to go through. So in a way, she was rushed to complete because she had set a deadline in advance. And then remember, after that, she was like, all right, publishers, I'm writing these books at my own pace. Yeah. I'll have it when I have it. Don't rush me. Uh, so she has said that that's the one that she she uh, you know wishes she had spent more time on. So I thought it was interesting that that would be the focus of this. In a way, it's kind of like I hate to say this because nobody will probably disagree, but nobody will agree. But it's kind of like a way for her to spend more time on the story she didn't get to spend enough time on, but not to improve it because <laughs> this doesn't well, improve say, the, Goblet of the Fire. The implications, yeah, the implications that come out of this, like Cedric's character and stuff. Leave me grateful that she didn't elaborate more in book four, um, I guess, is what I'm saying. I think it, it paints a really dangerous sort of non, 
compliant version of the future of the past for me. Like, but mm. it is interesting that it has such a book four focus. And this is this is the very last thing I think the audience must have been expecting watching it, uh, or you know, many of the people who hadn't spoiled themselves in reading it that you would get almost. Wait, how do you say it, Gina? Almost Amos. I say Amos. I say Amos. Too. We, we argued over text. I was like, why did you say it like that? On Because I just listened to the Wormtaily episode because I was avoiding spoilers. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it over on Saturday. And I was like, why did you say Amos? <laughs> Is it but Amos? That might, Amos? It, she's like, Amos like Apple, everybody, rolling like bowling. And I'm like, I don't. No, no. I said Amos like Attic, rolling like bowling. That's not the same A sound. Anyway, it's almost uh, Amos. Oh, degree. you two. Just yeah, blame okay. my Chicago accent. It's fine. <laughs> Amos, <laughs> whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Amos. I apologize to anyone who's offended by that. Amos degree shows up. It just seems so out of the blue that like, and I, look, I'm not trying to say the grieving process ever ends for a parent losing their child, but like 25 years is a long damn time to like have this well, regret. But wait a uh, second. And then, it wasn't he being confunded by Delphi at this point, so you really can't blame him. Well, he was confounded, apparently, but not imperious, which is a problem that I also because like there's a moment of clarity. It's an, it's a part two thing, but it's the very few seconds when they approach Amos before he knows what's going on. And they and the character gets moment gets across where Amos still dislikes Harry and still thinks that he caused his son. He still blames Harry for his son in the very few moments before he realizes what's going on. So this this confused me because Delphi casts the other two unforgivable curses in this play uh, with flying colors, and she can fly with flying colors. Um, but it seems like what she was doing with Amos was just confunding him rather than imperious. So it's not that she's making him feel like the upsetness and that she's completely making it unrealistically that almost would would want retribution would want harry to travel 25 years back and change everything and save the sun it's actually like that's partly true like that's actually probably what he kind of almost wants and delphi is just there to like push it along a little bit okay yeah yeah i don't know i don't think there's real confirmation either way but that certainly makes sense how you're presenting it um but yeah so there's that scene and that's where delphi first meets albus because he's listening on the scares and stairs and uh, Delphi is there with Amos, Amos, cookies, cream, whatever, however you pronounce it. <laughs> so, so uh, she, she's kind of a Tonks introduction. Did you guys get like Tonks at all with yeah. Delphi? I guess yeah. seeing the play might be a little different. She's like, hey, how's it going? I used to be a stare listener. What's up, kiddo? Uh, yeah. It's kind of, she kind of very, like friendly. She very quickly tries to insert herself and make her herself look fun and cool and young and hip. Yeah. Just like she I do when I go to like parties. Tonks. Hey guys, I'm young, cool, fun, and hip. Please believe me, somebody, anybody. She kind of. So, yeah, go on. Something interesting. I just looked up really quickly because I never feel like it's coincidence that uh, J.K. Rowling names anybody a certain way without their having purpose. So, the name Delphi comes from the Greek word Delphis, which means womb. So I just thought that was interesting. So all Delphis. Oh are conceived in a womb. Is that what you're saying? Everyone well, just given <laughs> I know that we find out that she is Voldemort's child later yeah. on, that her name means womb. Yeah. It should hey, have been a hint. This reminds me, I meant to say this earlier, I'm just saying, 
Snakes have two penises. That's a fact. Just saying. <laughs> Moving on. Just hey, Delphi, well, Delphi, I I actually love that, Micah, uh, and and I we also know. Do you how love my fact? Your fact is, I like my forked penis joke better, but okay, yours is well. Yours a is fork okay. does have multiple prongs, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe we're both right. Uh, but <laughs> Micah, the origin of the name Delphi is great. I also like because we know that it's uh, an alliterative name, uh, Delphi Diggory, the way that mm. uh, Helga Hufflepuff and everybody else is. Um, but obviously, Diggory is clearly not her official surname, so I guess it's not alliterative after all. I really, though, I wonder, again, an Act 2 question, but I wonder what her surname actually is. Like her real surname. Yeah, I they guess. never answer that. It would have to be, would it, who was the servant? Was it Raoul? Like, that raised her? It would probably be Raoul. It wouldn't even well, be Lestrange. I mean, honestly, wouldn't it be Gaunt? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why they I don't mean, answer it, because it's like... In J.K. Rowling's head, it's, it's just because of her upbringing, it's a bunch of things. And in the book, they're not going to write, like, Lestrange, Gaunt, Diggory, Riddle. Yeah. I, so I, I don't dislike Delphi right at, from the outset. She actually reminds me of Tonks, and I think it's kind of cool in that way, the way she comes across. But I think it's very interesting getting into sort of, like, the later part of Act 1 and, and going into Act 2, like, to talk about... And this is obviously like a big play thing too, like what her plan actually is and and if it gets derailed or not. Because she needs to convince Albus to retrieve the time turner from his aunt Hermione's office mm -hmm. and to get it to her. And then from that point forward, it becomes almost about something else, right? Because yeah. it, they're, they're stopping Cedric Diggory, but I think at this point it's just a ruse. Like, I don't think she actually wants to affect Cedric Diggory's life at all, but she's figured that this might be a good way to play on Harry's guilt and to kind of secure the time turner for herself. Right. Like, Again, I, I Cedric's a spare. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like, so, so, this, so this whole Cedric thing actually isn't even Delphi's plan. It might just be a way to get in the door and get the yes. actual yeah, time course. turner. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, to okay. Gina's point, though, Cedric is part of the prophecy. So I think she's trying to fulfill the prophecy by Ugh, sparing the spare. These prophecies. I forgot there was a prophecy in this book. These oh, prophecies. wait, there's two of them. So, so Albus starts to realize that this is his way to have some purpose, to do something helpful. And, and, and he's, he's unsettled by the, the, the spare thing. So, um, at, on the Hogwarts Express, as they begin their fourth year, Albus talks Scorpius into jumping off the train, uh, to go see Delphi, and then from there, go to the ministry. So, what happens is, uh, this, this was one of my favorite scenes. Maybe the, my fa maybe single most favorite scene. Uh, when they get off, they try to get off the train and the trolley lady stops them because it turns out her purpose on the Hogwarts Express all these years has been to make sure everyone gets to Hogwarts safely. And I love this because I think, as I said on a previous episode, this is just uh -huh. classic JKR. It's one of those things that's been hiding in plain sight all along, but Rowling never had an opportunity to tell us about it, maybe on purpose. Um, and so she saved it for this. I, I really hope that this is a Rowling thing, that this isn't uh jack thorne or john tiffany because i just think it's so brilliant and the scene it plays out longer than it reads in the book just like the staircase scene does a little later 
Um, it, it's it's action. I have so many questions about that. The staircase or the train? The staircase. Okay. I have feelings about the train, but so we'll it's get just there. like it's very windy because they're on top of a moving train, and and the trolley lady's nails are like growing and getting longer and longer and longer to the point that they're like a foot long. Um, and how do they do that? I don't know. I guess they that person must have had gloves on or something. But anyway, loved the trolley lady scene. I, I agree. I, I like this part. And then just echoing what you said, that I do hope that this was a part that was included by J.K. Rowling. And the throwback mentions to how she stopped Fred and George and James and Sirius. I just thought that the inclusion of those characters and dimensions of them just knowing how uh, they were mischievous and up to no good, the fact that Albus and Scorpius would fall you know, almost in line with those pairs as, as being up to no good uh, was was cool. And, and it's actually one of the, the parts that I did like reading. Let's... My problem was the why are the Marauders and the Weasley twins the only troublemakers in the history of Hogwarts? Like, of all, like come on, come on. Well, I don't they're know. just they're naming. Kind of... I don't think they're the only two. I think that she's just citing a couple of examples. And again, the fan service. They, we want to mention yes. the characters we actually know. Yeah, I, I I see that. Yes, I agree with also, that. Also, we're like... talking we're talking about like a couple hour train ride when you first get to school. Like very few people would try and screw things up that early on in the school year. And people want right? to go to Hogwarts. People want to go to like you wouldn't think of sabotaging the transit uh, there. What I also like about it is because you think about the alternative way that Harry and Ron got there in Chamber of Secrets, right? And it it doesn't interfere with this being a thing at all because they didn't take the train, you know? So I do do like how it sort of holds up and feels compliant. So Albus and Scorpius get off the train despite the trolley lady's best attempts at stopping them. And they get to Delphi and she's got Polyjuice ready to go. Uh, she was apparently preparing it in advance. I don't totally get how this happens because don't you need the hair of like Harry, Ron, and Hermione to have pulled this off? Well, she could have gotten it along the way. And um, isn't that what you add last? I think that's what uh, it was. Yeah, in the book. Yeah. Yeah, but there's all this talk about fish and Ron eats fish sticks and fish finger sandwiches, and I don't care for it. it, but. it the preparation got glossed over a little bit. I know we keep talking about how like things seem to be convenient, so that was that was a little convenient. Well, so they were stolen. Delphi broke into Hogwarts, didn't she? Um, because Professor McGonagall at Hermione's all-purpose grand expectation meeting uh, is talking about that lacewing flies and boom slang skin were stolen from the, the stores, but they're not specifically banned substances. Uh, so McGonagall didn't really think of anything of it, but she reported it to Hermione, who has used both lacewing flies and boom slang skin but, uh, before to make apologies potion, which, by the way, takes months to do, has something to do with the turning of the moon, as I recall. Uh, but it doesn't raise a red flag. This is Hermione failing. Right. Where's academic Hermione here where she's like, oh, boom, slang, that this makes a recipe I'm quite familiar with. And it's not a good one. This is used to uh, deceive. This is used to, you know, cause uh, security risk. And the Minister of Magic herself just ignores it. She has the ingredients said to her. So then Delphi, who never went to Hogwarts, has broken into Hogwarts, has stolen this potion. And all of a sudden we're led to Albus and Scorpius 
and Delphi, another trio breaking into the ministry under Polyjuice and breaking into an office in a ministry under Polyjuice Potion. It's clearly a throwback. It's clearly a callback to when they do this in movie seven or book seven, I should it, say. It does seem strange, and two of our patrons pointed this out. This first one from Matthew. Why does the ministry not have protection against this happening? A, 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 a protection of uh, from people getting Polyjuice Potion and sneaking into the ministry as somebody else. Because the ministry, the phone booth, I think it is, says, welcome, Harry Potter, Hermione Granger, Ron Weasley. Right, it's stumped like right away. Yeah, well, it's I had protect, issues with like, that. Just like in Gringotts, when you go through that water and it gets rid of the Polyjuice Potion. Yeah, the uh, thief's downfall or whatever. Yeah. Uh, somebody somebody said it, it's, um, actually it was also Matthew, that a private company like Gringotts has that feature. Why wouldn't that especially after the Wizarding World War, why wouldn't all of the protections be implemented across the board? Also, Harry has a line to Hermione right when they get the time turner. He's like, I guess wizarding uh, magic has advanced in the 17 years we've been at Hogwarts. And I'm thinking, Harry, bitch, you were supposed to be on top of that. Like, if there's anybody who's tracking the evolution of magic, dark and light magic, how technology improves how magic improves it would be the minister for magic and the head of magical law enforcement they, <laughs> nothing should nothing should stun these people that's okay? a very nothing good point should be surprising yeah but thank you but i do Finally but i soon. do but i do yeah. like how magic has advanced over mm-hmm. the past two-ish decades i think that is cool you, you, and valid yeah. and um and yeah it goes into the, the whole time turner why why time turners function differently now uh, but another yeah. thing is like why, and I think Eric, you mentioned this. Why is the Minister of Magic's office able to be opened with a simple Alohomora spell? Like we all did that in our Nintendo GameCube, Harry Potter, and the Sorcerer's Stone video games. Back Not in as the... often as we Flipendo, though. Let's be real. Yeah, which is right now on. canon. <laughs> right, Flipendo <laughs> is now in this book as well. Uh, it would so that probably would be harder to break out. into the Minister's office in a video game than it is in this book. <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless. They do get in, and there's one last challenge for them, and it can't be solved with an Alohomora. Um, it is Hermione has the time turner hidden in a bookcase, and there's a series of riddles that they need to answer, and uh, they do it. it. There's some complications, but they do it. This is a scene that I think worked amazingly on stage. Um, they they get sucked into the bookcases, which I don't think is even seen uh, described in in the script book here is it like hands reaching out yeah yeah real hands come out and pull them in or taunt them and then a couple a couple times they do get pulled in and then spit back out it was really well done entertaining to watch so Hmm? i'm sure this looked uh, amazing from a visual standpoint but my question would be why is that not setting off alarms in other parts of the ministry why you know why does Hermione's Apple Watch not go off and let her know that somebody's breaking <laughs> Apple, Watch. Apple Watches well, don't well, exist. The, duh. Well, they should. It's what what year is it at this point? But you know what I mean. I just think that the security around and and you all touched on this already, but around the minister's office should be at such a heightened level after everything that these three in particular have gone through that anybody who's doing anything out of sorts inside of the minister's office, it should have been bells, whistles, whatever you want, going off like mad that should have alerted people to come to her office. And doesn't you know, she have Mary- security outside of her office too? Well, look at Marietta Edgecombe. 
she had that that permanent tattoo engraved on her forehead of snake after you know yeah. essentially being being grudged into revealing the location of let's their their secret club at hogwarts in year five okay you, you're talking about 24 years later or however and hermione's own magic hasn't even met that level of magic to prevent uh people stealing you know the other thing that's in her office is that book on that bookcase is most uh magic most evil which is the Horcrux book that she gets from Dumbledore's office. So she's even worse at than Dumbledore at protecting the secret of Horcruxes from the entire Wizarding world. If you can guard it with an with an, a spell that's with a locked door. Mm. Uh, I have to say, the, this whole library scene felt a lot like uh, Bellatrix's vault, only less effective. Well, I mean, it just. As always, right, the conflict works the same way. They just get in over their heads really quickly and have to do some fast guesswork. And they were, uh, to... they, well, they were fighting the room, but at the same time, I agree with Micah, like, uh, she should have done more. I mean, these were the charms you put up. These were the protection spells you put up, honestly. You're the brightest witch of your age. This is what you have. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's move on now to the time turning. We've discussed this a lot already, so maybe we don't want to get into this too much. But in part one, we do see the first two tasks play out uh, with Albus and Scorpius influencing them. Um, the effects are pretty grand. Uh, after task one, after they mess with task one, Rose is never born. Hermione is a miserable defense against the dark arts professor at Hogwarts. And Ron has married Padma. Now, the one thing that surprised me here was that they discover while they're time-turning that the time-turner only has a five-minute limit. So I wonder why Delphi didn't mention this to them. Did, did, shouldn't she have known? Because they, you know, the interesting... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. The interesting thing is, like, I think Delphi did what, or was planning to come along. And it was right. it's 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 Albus and Scorpius's bromance and their tightness, their closeness with each other that causes them to feel confident without her. They're like, no, 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 we got this. You stay behind. And she's, she doesn't really see a, a reason around it. She's gotten these two boys to do her work for her, which is kind of cool. But I think initially she did want to, like, or was planning on coming along and affecting change herself. Yeah. Like, so that changes things a little bit. But the fact that they're only in there for five minutes means she wouldn't have really had much to do anyway. Yeah. So maybe she was, maybe she would have mentioned it, or she would have at least been there with them to experience it beforehand, beforehand, yeah. if that right. makes sense. Well, and and one of the things that I didn't like about when they do go back uh, the first time is that they very seamlessly are able to disarm Cedric, and you know, again, you would think that there would be certain measures in place that would have prevented something like that happening right from the, from the crowd, no less. I mean, thinking yeah, back you... to what happened in Sorcerer's Stone with Quirrell and, and, and Snape when the Quidditch match, sorry, when the Quidditch match is going on, um, you know, and Harry's kind of being flung around on his broom. Uh, you know, you're talking about the Triwizard Tournament, the first task, you know, anybody in the crowd could have stood up then and, and tried to influence the outcome of the task itself. So I just thought that was a really, like simplistic kind of cheesy way to, you know, have an impact on the outcome of, of task one. You're so right. 
like everything in the wizarding, everything in the Triwizard Tournament was so was under intense scrutiny, uh, specifically because the Triwizard Tournament is never safe. Uh, so that year they would have had all of the things in place, um, you know, to prevent and 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 furthermore, and it would have launched an investigation. Ludo Bagman says, "Ah, oh, Cedric's been disarmed." Unless the dragon cast Expelliarmus, uh, you have to investigate that, and right. you have to award sympathy points or something if there was tampering, even if you can't really prove it. You you saw the results. Everybody in that stadium saw, then saw Cedric get disarmed. That's clearly a breach of rules, and it's clearly not Cedric's fault. And it's, so essentially, it's like the worst way to affect absolutely nothing. What I did like about this, though, is that it's not immediately apparent that things had changed once the yes. time turning expired until Harry mentions Albus is in Gryffindor, but it's only mentioned in passing and you may have glossed over it originally. Um, uh, or like Albus, you may have thought, Oh, he's just threatening to move him into Gryffindor to keep him away from Scorpius. And then we hear, oh, wait, about, doesn't Albus break his arm? Like, yeah, he does. Yeah. The first right, time something so seriously like happens. That's how he ends up in the hospital yeah. wing. Yeah. Um, and then we hear about Ron Padma, and then we hear about Hermione being single and uh, and miserable and teaching there at Hogwarts as as Albus sees. So, so you kind of slowly realize it. Um, there were gasps in the audience when the Ron Padma thing came out. <laughs> and their son Panju, right? Panju, yeah, which Panju. has which has caused controversy as well because apparently that's not a real name. But that's that's another well, discussion. We've... But again, you know, here's where the writing gets a little bit flimsy to me. So because Hermione came across Albus and Scorpius dressed as Durmstrang students, she decided the Durmstrang was up to something after the first task, chooses not to go to the ball with Victor Crumb. And then because John, because John, because Ron never gets jealous, they never get married and have a child. Well, what it, think, about what it does, think about what it does to Hermione's character. This is from uh, our patron, Vijaya D, who says, Hermione, after all the talk about the cursed child as a play being progressive and having a black Hermione and all of that, they take away all the progress right in the scene uh, of, of, of the, they're talking about this alternate reality by making her a woman who can't succeed without a man by her side. So without Ron... By her side, Hermione has not only just become less successful, she's not Minister for Magic, but she's an angry, Snape-like teacher who is incapable of feeling, all because she didn't have this man. It's one reading. It's one way of reading this. Like, well, because that's who that's who Hermione is without Ron. That's who Hermione is. With, and it's well, there are down. probably it is it is boiled down to just her missing Ron. But you have to think that there are other factors that changed by extension of not being with Ron and also Ron aside there, her life just played out differently. Uh, but yes, that is yeah, a good point. Is Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like they're saying Hermione needs a man to be happy. <laughs> it is kind of like, this that, is where it? the story gets very fan fictioning for me. <laughs> Cause it's with, like with, what people with, wanted or, or what could or have just, happened. Yeah. Or, or the way that different, People may have have written the different outcomes for these characters under different circumstances, and I think that it just it doesn't feel like J.K. Rowling at this particular moment of of the story. 
Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I like that Karkaroff, I like that there was like this investigation into Durmstrang boys, exactly what we're talking about, which leads to Hermione distrusting Crumb, which leads to all this happening. I, I liked that there were repercussions of Albus and Scorpius's presence in the past that were felt. But even for Ron, like, he married the first girl he ever went to a dance with. You know, like, I understand that that technically happens uh, in the normal timeline as well, because he went, or, you know, he at least, he and Hermione had a big something to do with that dance or whatever. But it still feels like it's not giving enough credit to what would have inevitably happened over the course of the next three years at Hogwarts through the Wizarding War. Um, there would have been other opportunities to bond. I don't buy Hermione as the Snape-like character. I think for the play it works. I think for the play, it's interesting to toy with the characters in this way if there's no consequences. And I think it's uh, possibly foreshadowing Snape himself's eventual resurgence. And um, this Hermione's it, jarring. It's this, sad. This Hermione's, yeah, kind of heartless and hopeless, really. Yeah. Um, but it's obviously meant to illustrate something that none of us needed a lesson in, which is that there's consequences to time travel. Um, but you know, this is but this is far lighter than what happens the next time when one of our characters is blinked out of existence. Right. Yeah. Right. Out. So in task two, the result of task two, uh, Scorpius returns alone, and Voldemort rules the world, and Umbridge <laughs> is headmistress of Hogwarts. Hashtag Voldemort and Valor. And there's Voldemort Day, and that that's the cliffhanger at the end. It's Umbridge saying, "Oh, it's Voldemort Day," and Scorpius is like, "Voldemort Day." And then you see, you see, I get what is it exactly? The Dark Mark or uh, the Voldemort? What does the book say? It says, "Parcel tongue whispers grow louder and louder, grow monstrously large. Giant banners with snake symbols upon them descend over the stage." And this is the logo that is sold on a T-shirt at the beginning of Part Two. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that. Yeah, uh, I saw this t-shirt in person last week. It was yeah, awesome. That was the spoiler <laughs> shirt I, I mentioned previously and on Twitter that they were selling. And I thought that was a really good idea. It was kind of like Voldemort Day had taken over the whole theater. Um, and it, it does like, like the on the walls. Mark. and Yeah. The shirt looks like the Dark Mark kind of, but it's um, angular. Yeah. But a, 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 as much as I enjoyed the play experience, I did not like this as a cliffhanger because everything... So remember, I saw part one on Tuesday, and then I saw part two two days later on Thursday. I didn't feel like I was wrapped up in like, ooh, what's going to happen next? Because you knew that, of course, they were going to get out all of this. Of course, Albus was going to be brought back to life. Of course, Harry Potter wasn't going to, you know, it was going to be fixed. So Harry Potter didn't die during the Battle of Hogwarts. It just didn't feel cliffhangery to me. So I was I was bummed about that because I was looking forward to spending the next two days kind of speculating like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? And but the answer is, oh, more time turning and then things will be back to normal. <laughs> uh, so that's that's part one overall. I know we tried to hit on the bigger points, but um, we'll... there's one more thing I want to hear your guys thoughts on specifically the dream sequences of Harry back with the Dursleys. What did you guys think of that? Did you like them? I, I kind of liked them. So I want to yeah. get your guys thoughts. I liked it. It spoke to Harry being haunted about his past right now. Um, it. It the 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 scene where he wet the bed was particularly sad because it was just like that was Harry at his lowest. I feel like he was just in a really rough position, and he's he's being he's being reprimanded by Petunia 
and the poor kid he's having these nightmares that are causing him to have accidents so and we don't we don't see dudley do we no in that in flashback past, that that's no. the one like if we were to bring one of the dursleys back i wish it had been dudley like i, I wish they had talked about petunia as they did but if we had seen one of them, I wish it would have been Dudley because I feel, especially with the movie, they dropped the ball on that resolution so hard that this could have been an opportunity to to show more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And and I still think there's there's a lot to talk about in the first part. I mean, I mentioned earlier the the interaction between Harry and McGonagall upon Albus's return from that first task and, and how Harry really wants to separate Scorpius and, and Albus and how he really forces McGonagall's hand to do this. And just his overall treatment of her in that situation to me is not as was the case earlier when we were talking about him saying that he wished that Albus wasn't his son, uh, you know, was not really to me, the, 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 the Harry that we all have come to know, especially to treat McGonagall in that way. And he kind of has similar interactions with Portrait Dumbledore. It's not... Do you, did you guys feel the same way, or, or am I just... The Harry McGonagall scene was jarring, to say the least. Like, the fact that he was so wrapped up in his own emotions that he was treating McGonagall in that like way... Shit. McGonagall. It was bully like this is yes. He was bullying one of the first people who like helped him become part of Hogwarts. Right. Like she discovered I, his Quidditch talents. Yes. And the fact that because uh, in in, in book seven blow. yes, in book seven when he comes back and he there's there's just this love between him and McGonagall. Like She's so protective of him and and proud of him and he he cares for her and wants her to stay safe during the battle. Like uh, Yeah, that to, scene was so her, hard. For him to tell her that she doesn't have any children too. And and like her first thought is, but I have all these these students and that for him she's, that's such a low blow. She's like, it's, I raised your ass. Like, are you kidding me with this? <laughs> <laughs> but it hurts her. It cuts her to the bone. And this is really just in the in the, the stage directions, it's it's um, re- referred to as vitriol, and but it's like, and it's meant to be shocking. But to me, it's there's a difference between like going for effect and just being way way below the acceptable realm of like in characterness. Uh, it it betrays the character, it betrays their relationship that yeah. they share. Um, I think in a in a really crucial way, it misunderstands how Harry has this capacity this immense capacity for loving those who have been nothing but good to him um that was after that scene i was waiting for them to like come out and say you know something like imperious or something had been affecting harry and that's why his mood was so garbage during the first act like i I was waiting for that like somewhat of a cop-out but explanation of why all we got was all caps harry (laughs) Yeah. Adult all caps Harry. It was wor- yeah, it was worse than all caps Harry. It was worse it was- than all caps Harry. All caps Harry made sense. It was annoying but made sense. Mm-hmm. This all caps Harry made no sense. Mm. Mm. There's 
One more thing I want to pick your guys' brains about, and this is uh, the movement of the giants and the trolls. Um, <laughs> in addition to Harry, in addition to Harry's scar hurting, uh, which I'm not sure makes sense. Uh, the original future in this world before Albus and Scorpius change things. Um, Hermione approaches Harry uh, in his messy office and says, "You know, there's some interesting stuff in these documents." There are mountain trolls riding graphorns through Hungary. This is from page 30. There are giants with winged tattoos on their backs walking through the Greek seas. And the werewolves have gone entirely underground. Okay, first of all, I want to talk about... But wait a minute. There are really giants who have winged tattoos, as in augury tattoos, on their backs that have been observed in real world, have been observed walking through the Greek seas. Why did Delphi, are the timelines fused now, or is Delphi secretly actually raising up an army in the future time under the auspices of the augury and is leading them into war? Because I, I choose to see this when I was like really first reading it the first time. I'm like, oh, this is just a red herring because it's we're meant to be, it's hinted at that, that Voldemort's just coming back. And that's why Harry's scar hurts because it's like, across dimensionally warning him but if you actually read what hermione says and it said there's giants with wing tattoos in their backs i'm thinking delphi is actually legit raising an army in the future not in the past in the future to... how do we know it's in the future though because this is year four this is this is scorpius is year four albus is year four where hermione comes into harry's office and and says that these are the reports of the goings on currently but and when she right. holds the but but delphi could have been working in real time to assemble these creatures no yeah well but that's what i'm by by saying the future i simply mean not in 1981 oh, oh yeah by yeah, not yeah. in 1994 yeah uh yeah so like so, yeah. delphi but this never comes to a head in the rest of the play it so, doesn't but it's it's, does it it's kind to? of a i i just it's her dark mark yeah I, well i want to know i want to know why all of voldemort's old allies are wearing augury tattoos long before because the alternate the, universe where the augury reigns because she's gone to them and said listen yeah. i am voldemort's uh i am voldemort's heir you followed right. my father she's pulling a daenerys here and rallying all the troops <laughs> and like, yeah. see, but I see, think that's this absolutely right. really cool but this well, would be really cool to see delphi do wouldn't it like this actually adds no, to her character. No, it's a five-hour play. We don't need any more. <laughs> well, no, look, I don't want to hear any talk of what a... should have also been in this play. It, it, well, it, it is not a five-hour time. It, it's it, it's not a five-hour play being anybody's fault but Jack and John's. Uh, but Delphi actually being a we're going to get into this in our part two discussion, but being a a worthwhile villain akin to Voldemort, uh, you know. The fact that she is getting them to wear her tat, getting giants to wear her tattoo, uh, is pretty badass, actually. Yeah. And I would have liked to see a big, you know, come to head in the in the future, uh, for for this because it takes a lot of organization to track down almost Diggory and confund or Imperius him, whichever you believe, and then to get Voldemort's old allies together again. That's a big deal. But it's not in Delphi's character that we see in the play be anything like that organized what were you uh, gonna... except in the alter... except in the alternate universe what Sorry. are we gonna say micah i was just gonna add that that delphi is is also a, a city in greece to lend to your 
your theory. Did you say walking through the Greek seas? That's what it says in the book, yeah. Oh. So uh, the only other thing before we wrap this up, and, and maybe we talk about it on the next episode, was the the growing relationship, if you want to call it that, that exists between Harry and Draco, uh, which you know continues to develop in the second part uh, of this of this book of this play. Uh, I thought was was interesting, and the fact that they are sort of going in the direction of becoming almost friends and I, and you know it, there's a lot to talk about in 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 the next uh part um some things that he reveals to Harry uh but uh I thought that you know the interaction between those two uh was was something that was uh interesting to read about yeah agreed i i mean i i can't guess whether or not harry's being genuine you know in his he's sort of giving reasons why the ministry can't dispel the rumor, but it seems like he's not even really trying. I mean, we know from the scene either before it or after it that Harry doesn't even read his paperwork. So, like, how much does Harry really care? Like, really, seriously, how much effort is Harry really putting in to, you know, helping Draco uh, with his parenting issue, helping his kid, helping the world in general get over the loss of Voldemort? What is Harry doing? It doesn't seem like he's putting any effort into it at all. I don't he's think choosing he needs the path. To. We were talking he's about choosing this earlier. the path of least resistance, though. He's, he's Harry's Harry really sucks at his job. But, but to to acknowledge it is to validate it. I think just like you see in the real world, I, like, I, I, like I think that's an interesting point. But but even when even when the words are leaving Harry's mouth, I don't believe that that's the reason he doesn't say anything about it. You know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's a difference in saying that that's the reason. And then, like, actually caring about it for that reason. It doesn't seem like he's passionate. Just when, like, when Amos comes, it doesn't, Harry cannot underscore, understate enough how changing the past would irrevocably screw up literally everything that they built in this new world for themselves. He doesn't get real with Amos. He's just, like, weakly standing there going, change the past. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about this. No, so he doesn't just, say that. He says, no, we're not going to do it. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Amos. So, the, well, kinda... and the one thing, and this is like a whole big discussion, but time turning in general, like it, it's surprised that it's surprising that it didn't change more. They do acknowledge in the book that ripples are created when time is when when they do time travel. I think Scorpius or Alba says that. Um, but like you, you would have thought that more things would have happened. Like maybe McGonagall wouldn't wouldn't have been headmistress of hogwarts for example or, right. yeah. or that cedric would have died in the first task because he didn't have a wand and the dragon ate him yeah <laughs> oh and by the way i meant to Somebody... ask this earlier what so task two what's the benefit of humiliating him what why did i have so, no idea it was it... i that was the dumbest reason i could even think of putting in as to why things play out the way that they do the only thing I was yeah, thinking the, was he's so humiliated that he doesn't want to participate in the third task and thus he doesn't die. Yeah. Well, the problem is humiliating. He's so angry. He's so, he's so angry he becomes a death eater. Um, it, it's just the idea that, look, again, this is the source material here. The ever-knowing, omniscient goblet of fire who sees through your character right to your soul, the goblet of fire chooses you as the champion for your school. That gives a man a lot of confidence. Yeah, and so he would have you, had you to. You can't, you can't just very quickly uh, dispel that, that by yeah. yeah by by the malfeasance and like 
by tampering. I, I don't know. I, I think I agree. It creates an angry Cedric, but I, I think that what they're Not doing doesn't make or a, angry Cedric. I, I, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense. Yet. I do think the one thing that they did that was smart was they were able to focus in on a character that we really did not see much of during these tasks with the exception of the final one. So we don't really know because we were inside the tent with Harry, how Cedric was able to accomplish and defeat his dragon. And we don't know what took place out, you know, when that was going on. Same thing with the lake, even though they're all there, our focus is really on Harry. So the writing was smart there in terms of, you know, there could have been somebody who disarmed Cedric that we never even read about in Goblet of Fire. There could have been, you know, Cedric. But I think, though, with the, the, the second task, right, we would have read about if Cedric, you know, floated to the top and, and you know, it's just – and Dumbledore didn't see two other kids in the water. I mean, it's just – I don't know. It's, let's just wrap this up. <laughs> so so there's, a, there's a hopeful thought. Uh, and I, and I hope we haven't presented too negative a view of this play. As I said, half of us uh, here on Eric, this panel. Eric, you have no room to talk. <laughs> I, I'm saying I am, I'm hoping that you guys made what I said better. Oh, um, okay. But, but, uh, Katie Hale, uh, patron, um, replied, uh, in a long post, but said, it's a hopeful thought. I hope Cedric's rock dog wasn't eaten by the dragon. <gasps> oh, <puppy. laughs> Puppy, that. puppy. So hmm. let us all let that be our hope. I don't know, Andrew. Was it? Did you see on stage? Was did the dra- Was there yeah. actual dragon? No, I think there was fire though. I think think you saw fire. Cool. Well, yeah. Let's... They couldn't. They couldn't loan the dragon from the Wizarding World in Orlando and bring him in. For <laughs> the play, but uh, oh, yeah, actually, look, speaking I, I... of that, when I when I when Eric and I did the Escape from Gringotts ride uh, last week at the Wizarding World. <laughs> Um, there's a scene with Voldemort and Bellatrix on the ride, and I thought, oh, that's appropriate that they're together. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> right, that's what right they after say they that when it. we were there. Yeah, oh and come God, to think great. of it, Bellatrix looked pregnant. Just kidding. That's a rude thing to say. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Actually, I so, think Delphi was in the background. Boom. Maybe. But I, I agree. I mean, I, I think there's always going to be differing opinions, and it's not right for us to, you know, if we do have strong opinions to sit back and just kind of give in to saying that, Oh, it was, you know, it was great. And we didn't have any, any issues with it. I think that, you know, it was a pretty balanced discussion. We talked about the actual story itself and some of the issues that we had, but, uh, I I think it's a representation of how people ultimately felt uh, about the, about reading this book. And I mean, I've seen, I've seen people who have really enjoyed it and I've seen people who, um, have probably gone further in terms of their extreme views than, than we have on the podcast. So, yeah. Um, but I know we also heard from a number of listeners on Twitter. I've, I, I like it. I like that it exists. I think it's good for the fandom, even though everybody doesn't universally love it. I think everybody should see this play when they can get the opportunity. It, it's starting to sound like it may be in New York next year, which will make it very, well, make it easier for, Americans to to see it. Uh, well, even though, by the way, uh, you know, tickets may be hard to come by for the New York show. They they started selling another round of tickets for the UK through the end of 2017. They sold out within the first day or two. Sold out. Hundreds of thousands more tickets gone. Let's move on to some Twitter feedback here, really quick. Uh, Chris said, "I've read better fan fiction." 
Marina said, I adored it. Scorpus' friendship was too precious for words. The writing was smart and funny. The themes beautifully put across. Missy says, so excited. Please tear it asunder. Please talk about Scorpus. Please talk about how offensive this is to Cedric's memory. So Missy did not like the play. Part two stuff, Missy. We didn't talk about Scorpus. It is part two. Well, the staircase scene is in part one, though. And I will say, I was shocked that the staircase scene was only half a page in the script book. It seriously goes for close to five minutes on stage. It's a huge scene. I want a bootleg of that scene, excuse me, scene so bad. Yeah. Because I, sorry, Andrew, I don't ship it, but I would like to see that scene to -hmm. learn more. That, That could sway me. But I don't, I don't ship it so far. I'm, I ship it. I I'm ship talking it about Act Two, Scene Twelve. This is in Part One, and it's literally only half a page. It's, it's, it's a bummer. Uh, by the way, I would like to plug. I did write Scorbus fan fiction. It is X-rated, <laughs> but it is now available on Hypable. If you just Google uh, Albus Scorpius fan fiction, what's it called? Uh, it's called Never Sever Us. That is Eric's <laughs> idea. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for using it. I'm yeah. so, I'm so <laughs> Thank you for pleased. sharing it. Uh, it. Again, X-rated. I am not kidding. It is very dirty. It's it's basically porn. It's porn for my mind. Micah, I want you to narrate it for us. <gasps> Audiobook. <laughs> that should be the next. That should be the next patron perk. Um, yes. I haven't read it yet, but yes. I don't think we could pay Micah enough to. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I was going to say, are there royalties for this? <laughs> you already used my voice to start your other podcast, and I haven't seen anything from. I'll pay you twenty bucks to read the the read the Scorpius fan fiction. No, it's only three thousand words. I think that's pretty good profit. <laughs> uh, a couple other here, Mariad. Mary Adine said, love this book. I thought this book was for both the adults and kids. It was really perfect for a play script. Allie B said, loved it for what it was. The story was unexpected, but really enjoyable. Can't wait to see it on stage one day. Joe says, not a great Harry Potter story, but still kind of fun. Albus Scorpius happening would have been a great opportunity, but they passed it up. And finally, Steffers says, the best part, I think, was how the relationship between Harry and Albus was handled and the pressure Albus felt. Oh, and Scorpius. That's a given. Not a fan of the Trolley Witch, which which having exploding desserts and spike hands. So I will never look at pumpkin pasties the same way again. <laughs> I'm going to make some now. <laughs> and finally, we got an, we got an email from uh the the blind reader Randy who we uh, mentioned on the last episode. He said, even though there was no audiobook, we still went to a midnight release party and got our copies of The Cursed Child. I had held out hope that there might be a way to read the book ourselves. Instead, we have to find somebody to read it to us because of that. It could take us weeks to read. Uh, He said he also looked for a Braille copy and found and had no luck. The National Braille Press out of Boston, Massachusetts, which has all the previous versions of the books, would still need the written permission from the publisher to make a Braille version. So... But, but he said, on a positive note, the four of us who are blind that went to the release party were among the first five to receive our print copies, which was absolutely hot rocking. <laughs> so signed Randy, Sarah, Gerard, Matt, Kareen, and Leslie. So, I yeah. I bet if they, hmm? they started like a GoFundMe or, or some type of petition for J.K. Rowling to see that, mm-hmm. that Braille is needed for this, I bet we could get one going. Yeah, I, I, that, 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 I agree with that. Reach out to Joe on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. 
finally, a couple show updates here. Uh, on episode 299, 299, we will be discussing Cursed Child Part 2. Uh, and then episode 300 is just right around the corner. It's going to be our first episode of September, just in time for the new term at Hogwarts. Finally, quick plug, patreon.com slash mugglecast. It's too late to get a t-shirt at this point, but if you sign up, you will receive signed album art plus all the other benefits on Patreon, including bonus mugglecast, bonus vlogs. Eric and I recorded a vlog down at the Wizarding World. We we tried to uh, do it vlog style. It turned out okay. (laughs) I'm so sad they didn't have hot butterbeer for you. I know, I know. Uh, we're also doing chapter readings on there. And I think just a few minutes ago, Micah promised that he's going to read my X-rated Chris Child fan fiction. I think that's happening. Yeah. Think that's really Thanks, Micah, thing. for volunteering. That's very thoughtful of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's totally going to do that. This is my favorite thing ever. Remember Micah's Corner where he Micah would read fan fiction? Was it, wasn't it a fan fiction that you read? It, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah, then Micah okay. Micah refused to do it any longer. He said, "I'm not doing Wait, this. this. Is way too weird." So Gina, where did you get where did you get this letter from that you shared in the uh, Skype doc? If you guys uh, check the the Skype chat, who made I this? Created this. You um, made this on a site. Yeah. You, you like, guys put in your info. You guys, Micah made us or Gina made us a um, <laughs> Gina made us a letter, a Hogwarts Aww, letter, guys. That's so cute. It you says, gotta share this out. We're, it says, put, it, put it on the Facebook or something. Yeah, put it on it's, social it's, media. Well, look at who it's addressed to. Mr. Mugglecast, Mugglecast Newsroom, Long Island, New York. <laughs> so this is I, basically for Micah. Well, I didn't, I was like, what, they're, they're, should I put that's a Mugglecast good Newsroom, location. the internet? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's yeah. a good one. We all remember the Mugglecast Newsroom. How could we forget? Thanks, Gina. That was sweet. Yeah, we'll have to post that on social media. I I didn't realize today was your birthday. Today is our birthday. Thank you, everybody, for listening, whether you started a month ago or 11 years ago. We really appreciate it. It's always been a pleasure. It's always nice to hit this anniversary to remind us how long we've been doing this and all the friendships we've created, all the good times we've had together. We're going to try to get a bunch of old MuggleCast hosts together, and they are old now, trust me. Uh, for episode 300 <laughs> to celebrate. No older than we are. I don't know where we get off calling them old. <laughs> uh, they can't defend themselves since they're not here. So, um, Yeah, so we're, we're going to try to get as many people back in, in some way for episode 300. It's going to be like, it's going to be like, it's going to be like fan service for MuggleCast. Like, we're going to recite old lines and we're going to bring back old plot points from MuggleCast, even if they make no sense in the context you know of everything. Do? Okay, I'm I'm deciding this right now. We're going to open up the MuggleCast PO box to get to collect birthday cards and wishes from anyone who wants to. Right? Can we do this? Because we. Oh my have, god! What is that? We already have it. That's uh, Mike. Uh, that's Eric's fan overheating from the thought of opening the PO box. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, my fan on my computer. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but no, let me. Okay. MuggleCast has an address now. It's a box that we've been using to ship out album art cards. And if you want to send us, you don't have to, but if you want to send us some birthday wishes and let us know what the show means to you physically, you can do that. The address that I'm about to give you is 100% real, and we'll read your stuff on episode 300. I'm just making this up as I go. But we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll show you guys what people send us uh, for episode 300 when we record in a couple weeks. 
So the address is MuggleCast, 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144, Chicago, Illinois, 60618. And you can send us your thoughts and maybe real Hogwarts letters if you want uh, on MuggleCast's 11th birthday. If you um, put a $20 bill in the envelope, Micah <laughs> will read you my Cursed Child fan fiction. Oh, my God. Personally, he'll call I will, you. I will make sure that this money gets to... <laughs> Micah, no joke. He's gonna need it for therapy after he reads it. I, 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 uh, it is in Chicago where I live. I will be the recipient, so don't send anything gross or like gooey, please. Um, but yes, that is the MuggleCast PO box. We've had it for a while, but it exists mostly to serve our Patreon. Um, we will put case... the address on the website. And and don't send money. Just yeah, really no, don't send he was money. Joking. Send. I'm not joking. No. Send money. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it if we get money. If, um, if you send money, I I will pass hop it on along. a Patreon video and I will make it rain. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want them to send money purely to get Micah to do this. <laughs> yeah, it's just for our birthday celebration. But really, Come if on, you're Micah. thinking of sending money, just join our Patreon because then you'll get album art uh, and and all of our magical digital features. Yeah. Uh, patreoncom podcast. Check that out. Um, but yes, that box is 100% real. Send stuff. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be, we will be, we will be back later this month for probably another two hours to discuss to discuss Cursed Child Part Two, and maybe we'll try to get to a little more news too. There's been some interesting news, um, including some good Fantastic Beast stuff. So we'll have to catch up on all of that on our next episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Awesome. I'm Andrew. Okay. I'm Micah. And I'm Gina. Thanks again, Gina, for joining us. Thanks for having me. See y'all next time. Goodbye.